thinking about uh, one of the parables that Jesus shared. It's uh, from Matthew chapter 20. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, so I encourage you to open up your Bibles, read along with me. Uh, the passage will be up on the screen as well. Don't know why that black square is there all of a sudden, but we'll go with it. So, Matthew chapter 20. You're going to be reading from verse 1. The passage will be up on the screen as well. So, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Lord God, this morning we ask that you would just give us our ears to hear what it is that you want to speak to us this morning. Amen. You know, one of the very first things we learn to say in life is, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's a phrase we all know well. Helen was throwing it out all throughout that first game. It's a phrase we hear a lot, especially if you're a parent. It rolls off the tongue as easy as any other phrase. And we all start saying it at a young age, right? You don't have to teach a child that particular phrase. It comes naturally. You don't have to say to your, your child, Billy, hey, Billy, look, your sister has more dessert than you. That's not fair. No, you don't have to teach it. I grew up in a house uh, with five kids, four sisters and me, the lone brother. And oftentimes it wasn't fair. So often when making a uh, decision as kids about what we would do for play or what VCR we would watch, what movie we'd borrow from Video Easy, it'd always be a majority rules kind of vote, right? And the girls always had the majority. It wasn't fair. And there were plenty of times growing up where I would feel that sentiment to feel that it wasn't fair and no one had to teach me to feel that way. That was just an innate response. And of course it wasn't all doom and gloom for me as a young lad growing up. Back in 2005, a revolutionary jump in the world of music technology took place. 
the iPod Nano was released. These portable music devices that um, they're all the rage at the time. If you had one, you were just certified cool. Having a portable music device that actually had a screen on it, that was where it was at. And for my birthday one year, my grandma gets me one of these iPod Nanos. And I was so excited. But my two older sisters, when they saw my great fortune, they weren't happy for me for some reason. All they could say is, it's not fair. We never got that good of a present. We're older. We deserve it more. Not him. And they're probably right because I only owned about four songs at the time. But when you're a kid, you wear those feelings on your sleeve, right? There's no shame in crying out in disgust at other people's blessings. But as you get older, you hopefully uh, mature and you learn to hold your tongue a little bit. You learn to hide your emotions, the true emotions. But we still feel it, right? It's an emotion we still feel strongly. For example, when you're slaving away at work for such a large portion of your life and yet you're still struggling to pay the rent or the mortgage, it can feel not fair. When the person next to you has perfect health but you're dealing with some kind of health condition, it can feel not fair. When you're sleep deprived but your young child is refusing to go to sleep, when your friends are getting pay rises every year but you're an underpaid teacher working overtime, when you're the only one in your house who seems to care about keeping things tidy and clean, and it's everyone else that's making all the mess, it's not fair. That one's for the mums and my wife. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> Was that Kaylee? <laughs> you know, when everyone else is getting married and you're not, and going through a divorce, losing your job, paying taxes, feeling lonely or abandoned, praying fervently and seeing no change, you know, the list just goes on and on and on and on. So many things that can happen in life and everything within us insisting that it's not fair. It's not fair. You know, I wonder what gives you those feelings. I wonder what makes you maybe just grumble a little bit in life. What things do you feel like complaining about? What makes you feel like saying it's not fair? In today's parable, passage, Jesus shares a parable with his disciples to illustrate the nature of God's kingdom. He tells of the story of a landowner who owns this vineyard, and at 6 a.m. in the morning, bright and early, the landowner goes out to hire workers for his vineyard. He finds some men standing in the marketplace, hoping to get hired for the day. So the landowner agrees to pay them a denarius, which was a typical, day, a typical day's wage, and so they went to work for him in the vineyard, but there was a lot to work. To, uh, to, there was a lot. Yeah, I'm struggling today. I think it's the honey joy that's just stuck in my my mouth still. But there was a lot of work to do in this vineyard, and so a few hours later at 9 a.m., the landowner goes out again and saw more people standing idle in the marketplace, and he told them to go into his vineyard and promises to pay them a fair wage. And so they go to work for him in the vineyard as well. And the same thing happens again at noon. And then again at 3 p.m., and then again at the 11th hour at 5 p.m., with just one hour to go in the working day, the landowner still goes out and hires even more men to work in the vineyard. So evening rolls around at 6 p.m., it's time to pay the workers their wage for the day. And he gets them all to, to line up, starting with the men who only arrived an hour ago. And these men receive a denarius. 
they receive a full day's wage for just one hour's work. And so they're super grateful as they go home. And you can begin to imagine how the people at the back of the line are feeling now. Despite being all sweaty and covered in dirt, they're beginning to, to grin, they're beginning to nudge each other, saying to themselves, well, if they got a denarius for just one hour's work, imagine what we're going to get for 12 hours of work. And so they start doing the, the math on their fingers and they realize they don't actually have enough fingers to count how many denarii they're about to receive. They're beginning to plan their next holiday, their Dead Sea cruise holiday. And as they make their way to the front of the line and they put their hands out to get paid, a single denarius drops into their hand. And you can imagine how they would have felt, right? They would have felt cheated, scammed, ripped off. They were up before the crack of dawn, in the marketplace by 6 a.m., They've grilled and they've labored under the hot sun for 12 hours. And those lazy, idle men who probably slept in and didn't even try very hard to get a job got the exact same reward. They got the exact same reward as these idle men. And so you can understand why in this parable, Jesus says these men began to grumble against the landowner, to tell him it's not fair. And so the landowner, he responds to the workers Verses 13 to 15, it says, But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the landowner responds to the workers and he asks them three questions. We're going to go through each of these uh, questions this morning. So the landowner begins by saying, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? You see, the workers in this story, they felt entitled to more. They had reasoned in their head that they deserved more money for their efforts. Because when they entered into the agreement at the start of the day, they agreed to one denarius. But now when they're comparing themselves to these people that came later in the day, they decided they actually deserved more. And maybe when we read a parable like this and we know that the landowner is representing Jesus or God and therefore we know the correct Christian response is to agree wholeheartedly with Jesus, you know, perhaps we don't properly want to admit to ourselves that we actually agree with the workers in this parable and not the landowner. I mean, if I worked a job that was nine to five and I got paid the same as someone who was only coming up for half an hour a day, you know, I'd probably be having some words with my employer, right? You know, that's not fair. It's an insult to the effort that you're putting in. So, was the landowner being fair? A couple of weeks ago, just before Christmas, our Young Adults Connect group, we had an end-of-year Christmas party. And at this Christmas party, we organised a Stealing Santa Kris Kringle. So basically how it works is everyone buys a present, wraps it up, brings it on the night, and then we put all the presents in the middle... And we take in turns. And when it's your turn, you can either uh, open up a new presence that, that's in the middle, left unopened, or you can decide to steal someone else's present that they've already opened and you know what it is. And so we're doing this stealing Santa, Kris Kringle, and people are uh, opening their gifts and, you know, Sarah's got some nice paints or whatever it was. Taylor's got a, a bath bomb. Amy's got a nice cheese platter. Kiting's got a picnic rug. Micah's got a book. You know, everyone's got these gifts that they're happy with. And there's only three presents left 
in the middle when it gets to Marcus's turn. And much to our disappointment, Marcus decided not to open up a new present, but to steal a present he didn't even want in the first place because he wanted to cause some trouble. And this set off a long series of present stealing. Probably went for half an hour. And all of a sudden, all of us who were originally happy with the gift that we had in our hands before it was Marcus's turn, now we're all holding gifts that we don't even want. Someone without a bathtub has now got the bath bomb. Someone without their ears pierced now has the earrings. Now we're all looking longingly across the circle at the gift that was once in our hands, but no longer. But we all ended up with a gift that wasn't our preferred gift. And some of us weren't happy with what we ended up with. Why? Because we were comparing our eventual gift with the one that we had decided in our our heads that we deserved earlier. You see, what had happened is mentally we had laid claim to a gift that wasn't ours yet because the stealing Santa was still going. So Amy was planning what cheeses to put on her cheese board. Kiting was planning where we'd go for a picnic with a new picnic rug. Sarah was planning what to paint with her gift. But by the time the stealing Santa had ended, we had something different in our hands, and some of us felt cheated because we thought we deserved something better, better than what we ended up with, but that's how stealing Santa goes. We'd all agreed on the rules of the game before we played. The rules and the terms they were set, we all said, yes, that sounds good. But at the end of it all, we all felt like we'd been dealt with unfairly, primarily because of Marcus Kurt Waterman. (laughs) But the reality was, (laughs) had to ask Kelly for the middle name this morning. But the reality is, it was fair. We'd agreed to the rules of the game. We didn't actually have a right to that original gift that was in our hands at one point. And I wonder if we do this with God too. I wonder if we have these inherent claims on the gifts and the blessings that we think we deserve from God, where we're balancing and we're closely kind of just monitoring how God blesses us compared to the people around us. You know, I remember when I got to a certain age as a kid and Christmas would roll, roll around and I would begin to analyze um, the parents, the presents that our parents would get us for Christmas. I had this need to make sure I was getting, I was getting just as much value out of my presents as any of my sisters. I had this need to know that my parents were being fair. But here's what you don't realize as a kid. None of those Christmas presents were your right or your entitlement in the first place. Those presents were up to my parents' generosity and whether they wanted to gift them or not. I remember when I used to complain to my mom about certain dinners she would cook. There was one particular meal that I really didn't like growing up and mom kept making it and I would grumble about it. But what I didn't realize as a kid was that I wasn't even entitled to my mom making me dinner in the very first place. As a kid, I thought I deserved to be provided a breakfast, lunch, dinner, for my laundry to be done, my bedroom to be vacuumed, but it wasn't actually my right. All of these things were provided out of the generosity and love of my parents. And isn't it the same with God? All the blessings that we have in life, we're not actually entitled to any of them. 
Everything that we do have is a result of God's provision to us. You know, outside of his promises, God doesn't actually owe us anything. But what happens is we begin to create in our mind what it is that we deserve, what we deserve in life, that we somehow deserve that house or that job or that breakthrough in a situation. And these are good things to bring before God in prayer. You know, our God is a giver of good gifts. We should bring our petitions before God always. But if you find yourself reacting with these feelings of it's not fair, then you're actually assuming upon God's grace. Assuming that you are somehow owed something by God, that you somehow deserve something from God, that because that person was able to receive a particular blessing from God, then surely I do too. That because that person was healed, that person got a pay rise, that person got given a car, that person got given a leadership position, that person's prayer was answered, you know, surely I deserve something too. That because I'm faithful in serving at church, surely I deserve some kind of special blessing from God. Surely I'm entitled to more than what God has already given me. The workers in the vineyard in this parable at the back of the line, they, they saw the people in front of them get the exact same wage that they did, even though they had done more work. But the landowner says, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? And he's right on that point, isn't he? The agreement was that, they, that they agreed upon was to work for a denarius. And the landowner was actually faithful to his promise. For him to be unfair, he would actually have to not pay them the denarius. He was fair. The workers didn't have a right to anything more than what they actually agreed upon at the start of the day. As we get to the second question, the landowner continues by saying, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money. In verse 12, the worker said to the landowner, Those, these who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You see, the workers, they were trying to convey to the landowner that they had rights to being paid more than the workers who were hired later. They were explaining their rights to him. And so the landowner, he actually does the same thing. And he says, well, what about my rights? It's my money to give. So aren't my rights the only rights that really matter? And so when the landowner asks, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Well, of course the answer is yes. The workers don't actually have any rights to the landowner's money. They never did. They never will. It doesn't belong to them. The only right they have is to the denarius that they agreed upon and they were promised at the start of the day. Nothing more. You know, when we look at the, all the things that we have in life, we can think we have rights to them. But the reality is we don't. Why? Because as we said before, everything we have is God's. And we read it all throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Psalm 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. You know, everything we have and don't have ultimately belongs to God. Anything we do happen to have in our possession isn't something we own or have a right to. 
but a gift that we've actually been given by God to steward. So that money in your bank account, God has actually given that to you to steward. It's his money. The roof over your head, your gifts, your talents, your possessions, your resources, your opportunities in life, everything you have right down to your very life itself isn't what you're entitled to. It's actually God's generous grace in your life. It's God's abundant provision being extended to you. And the danger we have, the danger we so easily slip into is thinking that we have earned what we have by ourselves. Have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. As the Israelites are about to enter the promised land, Moses gives them this warning. Verses 10 to 18, it says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So this passage reminds us that every good thing we have, every good thing we have worked for actually comes from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. We don't have any rights over any of it. God could decide to take everything away from you today and you actually wouldn't be able to say to God that he's cheated you. You know, as Jesus told this parable Who were the workers who began work at 6 a.m. representing? They were representing the Jews, the Hebrews, the people of God who had been there since day dot. The Israelites who had traveled from land to land, who had been slaves in Egypt, who had wandered throughout the wilderness, who had to fight for their land, taken into captivity, and they'd endured it through it all for millennia. They had toiled for so long under the hot, scorching sun, and now Jesus is saying, well, not only do you guys get a denarius, for your efforts, but so do the Gentiles. Now in the 11th hour, the tax collectors and the sinners, the impure and the sick, now they're given the exact same reward as you, the reward of eternal life, the reward of salvation. That's what the denarius is in the story. And Jesus is saying that God has the right and the desire to do so, to save whoever he pleases, no matter when they entered the vineyard, no matter how long they worked for the landowner. And I wonder if in our own Christian walks, we throw out the it's not fair card as we compare ourselves to other people. I wonder if the church member who serves wholeheartedly is tempted to look across the seats of their church and starts to think it's not fair that they're putting in more effort in serving God than the next guy when they're turning up at 8 a.m. to practice music every week, when they're the one who always finds themselves in the kitchen because there's not enough volunteers, 
Do we look at God's generosity to others who we think deserve it less than us and become envious? Do we fail to recognize that God has the right to reward those he wants to reward? Do we fail to be grateful for what God has given to us? Do we fail to cheer on the the worker who arrives at the 11th hour? The third question the landowner asks is this. He asks, are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? If you want to know how to make a child happy for about four seconds, you just give them something like this, a little chocolate. Assuming they like chocolate, they'll be excited. They'll feel really special. But then if you were to go to the next child or their sibling and you were to give them this big box of favorite chocolate, all full of the best chocolates you could possibly want, caramel wallabies, then all of a sudden, how are they feeling? What do they say? They say it's not fair. The gift for the first child is actually ruined now because they're no longer just concerned with what you've given them. Now they're comparing themselves to others. How does their blessing they receive compare with someone else? If the child with the small Turkish delight compares himself with the child with the big favorites box, they'll feel disappointed, dissatisfied, irritated. On the other hand, if the child compares himself with someone who got nothing, then maybe they'll start to feel a little bit better about themselves again. But here's what I've discovered. You never really grow out of that as you get older. It may not be uh, favorites, chocolates, and Turkish delights anymore. It might be. But maybe it's other things. Maybe it's the, the career you have compared to someone else. Maybe it's the car you have compared to someone else. Maybe it's the size of the place you live in. Maybe it's the way you, you look compared to other people. Maybe it's the fact that you're putting in so much effort into losing weight and you're not seeing any result, but then there's someone over there just eating burger after burger after burger and none of it's going on. Maybe it's the experience of parenthood that you've had compared to your friends. You know, there's so many things that we can compare with others. And as we do that, we fall into the danger of becoming envious. We become jealous of other people's blessings. We can become resentful of other people rather than happy for them. Or on the flip side, if we deem ourselves as doing better in comparison to others, then we fall into the danger of pride, falling into this false belief that we have somehow deserved this greater blessing. Are there things in your life that you find yourself comparing to others and being left feeling envious? Do we wish that God was more fair? Do you ever find yourself thinking that way? You know, why doesn't God just give me more? Why doesn't God give me what he gave to that other person? Why doesn't God just give me what I deserve? And if you find yourself thinking along those lines, then I invite you to think about that sentiment a little bit more. Because if you were to go to God and say, look, God, I'm a faithful person. I've been going to church for decades. I've served you for countless hours. I've been tithing my money since day one, turning up to every church event. You know, I, I think I deserve more from you. Would you give me what I deserve for what I've done? And when we stop to think about it, well, we know what we deserve from God already. Romans 6:23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our wages, in other words, what we deserve is death, to be separated from God and all his blessings. But the gift of God, in his generosity, he gives us the ultimate blessing, Jesus himself, our salvation, eternal life, the denarius. The denarius, that's God's generosity. And what more could we possibly want? Thanks be to God that he actually doesn't give us what we deserve. You know, in our hearts, maybe we need to kind of take that step back and kind of reset our thinking and let God be God. He's a generous God, full of inexhaustible riches, and we'll never know how high and how deep and how wide his love is for us. And he mercifully invites us into his kingdom. We don't even come remotely close to deserving to being part of it. So we can't let our hearts become consumed with playing this comparison game in life. We can't let our hearts be consumed with playing the comparison game. If you play the comparison game, you'll either end up feeling envious of God's generosity to other people or you'll be filled with pride and take God out of the picture. Whatever we receive from God, we praise God for. Whatever others receive from God, we praise God for as well. We cheer that person on and we thank God for his generosity to them. You know, we need to think less of our temporary worldly status and our possessions and the way we compare to others. We actually need to drop all of that and be concerned with what actually matters. And what matters is God's kingdom growing. What matters is more workers at the 11th hour being welcomed into the vineyard and receiving that denarius as well. Jesus closes this parable with one of his most famous sayings. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The kingdom of heaven is not a first-come, first-served kingdom. And so the question is, are we prepared to be last? Are we prepared to be content with whatever it is that God throws our way? A few years ago, I got to hear the, the testimony uh, from a friend of mine who was sharing how he had become a Christian. And when I was listening to his testimony, my heart just broke for him, hearing tragedy after tragedy of what had happened in his life. From being bullied throughout childhood and suffering depression, from single-handedly caring for his sick mum during his year 12 year of school because his dad left the family when his mum got sick, to his mum eventually passing away and him trying to rebuild this relationship with his dad, from having to work long hours to help make ends meet, And throughout all this devastation he had experienced, he said this. He said, I'm so glad I now know God's grace because of the hardships I've been through. You know, it'd be so easy for this friend of mine to have looked upon his circumstances and to to have looked to God and just curse God because of it. To cry out to God and say, it's not fair. I don't deserve this. But instead, he chose to see the grace and generosity of God. In Job chapter 1, after Job had lost all of his great wealth and all his 10 children were killed, and when, when the messages came up and they told Job devastating news after devastating news, it says this at verse 20, at this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. 
The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. When the Lord gives, it's easy to praise God, right? To bless His name. But when He takes away, well, that's a lot harder. When it feels not fair, it's a lot harder to praise the name of God, isn't it? But may our hearts and our spirits continue to, to bless and praise God no matter what. Because we know that we've got that denarius from Him, that gift of eternal life. This parable teaches us that in God's kingdom, there's no favoritism or entitlement. God's generosity is not limited by our own sense of fairness. He values each person equally. equally. He rewards them according to His own grace and generosity, not based on human standards of how we think God should apportion His grace. So let's be okay with God being God. Let's be grateful with the abundant generosity that God has shown to us, with the blessings we have in our life now, with the gift of eternal salvation found in Jesus. Let's not get tied down with comparing our circumstances with other people. It never ends well. As Job did, let's realize that naked we come into this world and naked we'll depart. In God's kingdom, we're all equal. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us in our time of need for strength. Just transform our naturally envious hearts with a new heart of gratitude. If you want to stand up, we're going to sing a song that we sung earlier this morning. It's called Blessed Be Your Name. It's a song that talks about blessing God when times are good and the land is plentiful and there's streams of abundance. But it also talks about blessing God when we're walking through that dry wilderness and there's suffering. And I know there's people in this church today in every row who are walking through a, a dry season of life right now. Plenty of people who may be feeling that life isn't feeling very fair right now. But I want us to sing this song of praise to God together as a church community. And I want to encourage you to sing this song to God with faith and conviction. And even if the words are difficult, you know, God just wants our hearts to just be poured out to Him regardless. So we're going to sing this song. If you're feeling like you'd like prayer for something during this time, I invite you just to step out to the sides um, of, this ch- of the chairs. Uh, someone will come and pray for you. I'm not going to limit it to the elders or anything this morning. If you see someone on the side and you want to pray for them, I encourage you to um, get around them. We're going to sing this song of praise to God to say blessed be His name no matter what it is that we face in life. Let's sing.